You're listening to Inside Acting. To find out more and make a donation, visit InsideActingPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 115 of Inside Acting. My name's Trevor Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. On this podcast, we interview actors and writers and producers and agents and managers and casting directors and filmmakers, personal finance gurus, voiceover artists, life coaches, uh, personal organizers, musicians, and uh, home fitness celebrities. Yeah. You you, you forgot novelists. Novelists. Because of... But... I, I was really impressed with that list. <laughs> We're not really doing so impressed. good with like the niche thing, are we? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, we interview those people and then stick them on this podcast and put it up there on the web for, uh, every week for you. And uh, yeah, it's not the reason it's not a niche is because we're about being a whole person because that's what being an actor is all about. Yeah. Being like a real human being, a whole human. And we are two humans with a podcast. Uh, <laughs> no longer will we be saying just two dudes of the podcast we are two dudes with a podcast and we love to get your input your feedback and your questions and of course you know how to do all that just shoot us an email at insideactingpodcast at gmail.com or head over to our website at insideactingpodcast.com yeah or call us or tweet us or facebook us all of those things whatever you know how to get in touch with us Uh, and on today's episode we have part one yeah i'm so i'm super stoked about this tony horton on today's episode tony horton for those of you for those of you who are uninitiated is the uh (laughs) is the celebrity trainer creator he's the p90x guy he's the p90x guy he's the guy who made it who hosts the videos we went over to his house we sat in his home theater we talked to him for an hour and a half it was awesome. So part one coming at you. So stick around. Hey, 115 episodes. 115 episodes. Wow. I love to, I love telling people that now they're like because they're like oh you have a podcast I'm like yeah and they're like oh how many you know how many episodes do you guys have or something like that I was like 115 they're like what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what because I've been telling I've been telling uh, like basically everybody in the cast about the show I've been telling them about the the podcast like oh how many you know 115 and like the look on their face like wow like they're really impressed and it, it's a it's a good feeling because that's that is a like. There have been many a podcast that have ended, what, like, a hundred episodes before this. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. 110 episodes before this. I would even say, yeah, like, most. (laughs) So, I just, there's something very magical about, you know, staying strong and keep, keep plugging away at it, and, uh... Yeah, so so here we are, 115, 115 episodes. Hey, speaking of uh, Heather's the musical, how's it going, dude? It's going really well. It's going really well. Yeah, it's it's intense. I mean, they 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 have aspirations to like go to Broadway and stuff. So yes. it's re- it's like rehearsing a, a Broadway musical in 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 you know just a matter of a few weeks. Dude. Which I, now that I'm thinking about it, like they probably. I've never I've never done a Broadway show. I have friends who have, so I can ask them. Or if anybody who's listening to this has ever done one, um, that's probably how much rehearsal they get. 
Unless you're like an understudy, in which case you get like one, which is totally true. Yeah. But yeah, three, like three, three and a half weeks or something like that. And we, we open, I mean, it's insane. Yeah. You, I remember you, you started kind of putting the word out to our kind of group of friends, like the day after you got cast, you're like, buy your tickets now, buy your tickets now. It's coming right up. And now it's virtually upon us. Yeah. They sold out in two and a half days and then they put more tickets on sale. They added three performances and, and then yeah. those sold out in like two hours. And it almost makes sense now because I've noticed that your rehearsal schedule is kind of rigorous. I mean, you've been, you've been have, putting in some long hours, doing yeah. some pretty intense work, you know, singing and learning the, the dance and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, it occurred to me that this is like a second job for you at the moment. Yes, it does feel that way. Even well, it's though professional I'm theater, so that's the way it is. <laughs> oh, you're not getting paid. Well, it's equity waiver right now. Uh, okay. Right now, this job, this is one of those jobs that you. T- I talked about this when I talked about taking the role in the ensemble. This is the kind of job where, like, the dividends that will pay off from this are not going to be monetary. I'm creating relationships now that will pay off later. Right. Essentially. Right. Yeah, you're working with some awesome people. Yeah. So, yeah. of of Uta Hagen's four questions, you've satisfied your to definitely yeah yeah it's good for my career i'm having a blast it's good for my yeah, craft hell yeah it's craft. good for my craft yeah yeah so three awesome. three yeses i don't know <laughs> yeah so there you go sweet so three of them yeah cool man um and we talked about that on an episode a little while ago we made that up what like somebody somebody emailed the podcast and they were like i can't find this thing that you're talking about, but I did find this. I found like seven questions or nine questions or something. We made up the four questions. And then I Googled it and I couldn't find it. Really? Yeah. Because I thought that was like your thing. I thought you like were like, oh yeah. No, no. somebody told it to me. Somebody that's what I'm <laughs> saying. So, so it was just like perpetuated. <laughs> speaking of which, speaking oh of things that are just perpetuated and not knowing where they came from, uh we got an email this week. Oh my god, yeah, we did. Uh <laughs> I just thought that was too perfect of a segue is, not, it, to, not to take yeah, advantage of it. It's a perfect segue. So, we got to talk about what you're up to, but let's let's talk about this real quick. Yeah, so so we, we've been kicking the term uh, thrival job around for a long time, and I, I think I first heard it from Ben. And the way Ben kind of described it to me, I, I think I just kind of subconsciously linked up that, oh, but he was so thorough with his explanation. Ben Whitehair, by the way, uh, is the person we're talking about. He was so thorough with his explanation that I was like, "Oh, that's that's uh, that's his term." Like he kind of came up with it. It just, it just I just made an assumption basically. Uh, and then I think the other episode, a couple episodes ago, we talked about you know who came up with that, and I, I kind of offhandedly said, oh, "Yeah, I think it's I think Ben came up with it." Um, but that's not true. That's not true. Listen, longtime listener and supporter of the podcast, Helena Santos Levy. Am I saying that correctly? <laughs> We always have this conversation when her name comes she up. She literally sent us it. an email just to tell us how that to pronounce did it right. her name. <laughs> Sorry, Helena. I can't believe or is it Helena? So, um, thank you, Helena, for giving us that that uh, term. It's spread like like wildfire throughout the community, and we're proud that uh, that everybody's kind of using it now. So, thanks for uh, for giving that to us. And I'm sorry about the name. It's a gift. So, Seriously, what are you up to, man? So, I, you know, I have been kind of buckling down the past few weeks and kind of getting serious about my inner game. I always talk about this in the show about, you know, oh, I'm I'm really getting, you know, my, my inner game straightened out. I'm getting back to purpose. You know, that's my, I feel like that's a thing I do. Um, and I'm not really proud of that because I'm always talking about it, not doing it as much. But I really started to get down to it. And I feel like... I watched this documentary recently called I Am. It's the, the guy who directed Ace Ventura 
Ace Ventura 2, uh, Bruce Almighty, Liar Liar, basically like all these Jim Carrey movies and a couple other movies. Big time director, right? Really successful, made a ton of money, bought a big estate and all that stuff and was just living the high life. And then he had like a nasty biking accident and had to have surgery on his arm and <laughs> you can tell so why I love the movie. So he's you is what <laughs> yeah. you're saying. And uh, minus the millions of dollars and Jim Carrey hookup and all that. <clears throat> anyway, he made this documentary because basically this brush with mortality basically led him to reevaluate his life and figure out kind of, or ask the questions rather with some of the leading thinkers of our day. And my, you know, my boy, Daniel Quinn, who wrote Ishmael and all those books mm, that I'm always talking mm-hmm. about, um, He's in the movie, and he interviews like Desmond Tutu and like Tom Hartman, who's another one of my favorite writers, and all these guys on basically like what's essentially what's wrong with our world and how do we fix it? And the answer that came back was all about the kind of quantum physics of our beings. You know, a lot of like secret type stuff, mm-hmm. but it was cool because it's it's just another perspective on the same kind of take, the same kind of thing. And there was a scene in the movie where he's sitting across from a Petri dish of yogurt, right? Like yogurt that they buy at the store and they put it in a Petri dish and they hook these, they just stick these electrodes into the yogurt and then hook it up to this measurement device that has a little thing that waves back and forth to measure the frequency, basically. So what they're doing is they're measuring the electromagnetic frequency of this yogurt. And uh, he's just sitting across from it. And as soon as they put the electrodes in, you see the meter kind of start to move. And then, uh, and they say, so Tom, um, tell us about, uh, you know, like, do you need to call your lawyer? And immediately the meter spikes and he's not hooked up to anything. He's just sitting in the same room as this yogurt and they're measuring the electromagnetic frequency of the yogurt. It kind of reminds me of like Ghostbusters two with the ooze. What? You know, when like that you think a, a mean thought or something, or you yell at it, the ooze would like bubble up. Yeah. It was the same kind of thing, but it's real. So he would think these thoughts that were kind of highly emotionalized thoughts and the yogurt was responding like it it was actually his thoughts were actually physically affecting the yogurt and they could measure it. And it blew my mind. And and, and they they asked some other questions. They were like, why don't you call your agent? And then the thing spiked again. And then they were like, are you married? And it spiked again. And he's like, yeah, not anymore. Thanks for asking. Oh, my God. But it was crazy to see it actually happening right there and to see his reaction to it um anyway the point of the experiment was just to show that our thoughts have real tangible energy and a real tangible effect on the world around us and so as i've been reading you know my books and i've been i kind of watched the secret again and uh i was like you know what i gotta get i gotta get straight about my thoughts i really gotta rein this in i think napoleon hill says it in uh think and grow rich he says if you don't tame to the garden of your mind, it will become overgrown with weeds. Mm. And other people have said it different ways. They've said, you know, the mind is a terrible master, but a wonderful slave or something along the lines. So I just thought I've got to just have, this is a long diatribe, but I've got to have more <laughs> mental discipline. The point of this whole story is these two auditions came don't out of the blue. Yeah, don't eat yogurt. It's alive. Um, these these auditions came out of the blue, and uh, they were kind of exactly what I had been asking for. And they came out of the blue, like random people just contacting me and being like, "Hey, I thought of you for this thing," or such, or or like just a random connection from years ago just came out. So just I had these two kind of exciting auditions, and I. I, uh, I went in and, and read for him and it just, it just, it had that feeling of 
this is just, I've like, just when I've really started to dig in and get my mind right about these things, these things just come out of the blue. Like it just felt too, too coincidental, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, uh, and I went on them and I, I put a lot of work into preparing for them. I used, uh, what's going to be my my pick of the week, the rehearsal app that David Lawrence, uh, the 17th created. And it's an awesome app, and I I really just started to play with it uh, for real, for real. And I felt really confident going into the room, and uh, I think I did some good work. And then I didn't hear anything, like, and I was so bummed if like four or five days passed, and I was like so upset because I was like, I sourced these auditions, I created them, I manifested them out of the ether with my mind, and <laughs> <laughs> prepared for them, and then all for nothing. Uh, and then of course, like a day later, I, I did get a call for a callback for one of them, which is tonight. And I'm super stoked about this project. I, 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 I can't tell you how exciting it is. I'll talk, I'll talk more about it when I book it, but it was just one of those weeks where I was like, Hey, this stuff works. Mm-hmm. And I watched the documentary and I, it was cool, man. So, wow, that was long, but that was my week. So we've got a couple emails we wanted to respond to. Yeah, we got like deluge of emails this <laughs> Good week. Use like, of the word deluge. <laughs> yeah, we did get inundated. A lot of, we, we did get a lot of emails this past, uh, really this past like ten days. We just got a ton, um, and it's awesome. Yeah, thanks for uh, reaching out as always. Yeah, um, and we love answering questions on the podcast. We've got two emails with multiple questions in them. So we'll try to get through them as quickly as possible. Yeah. And, and this first one was actually come actually came to us a few weeks ago, but we're kind of working our way backwards, like reverse chronologically. So, uh, the first email comes from KC and his first question is, uh, kind of a technical podcast question. He says, for some reason, I don't have a few of the first episodes anymore. Uh, specifically episodes one, two, Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. <laughs> Just a few. Uh, he can't Just download them to his phone. He wants to know why this is. Uh, and I will go ahead and take full responsibility for that as the person who kind of deals with that side of the back end of the episode. Uh, I'm sorry, of the podcast. Uh, I, I don't know. I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. I'll dig into uh, our Podbean account and figure out what's going on. I'm guessing that when we migrated everything over from what were we using before, Blip TV that maybe those things just didn't come over. I didn't link them Mm -hmm. up correctly or as has been known to be the case, Podbean sometimes just drops the files. I don't know why, but they do. Um, so I'll check that out. Thank you for letting me know. And anybody out there who's hearing this and wondering where those episodes are as well. Uh, I guess Trev's on the case. (laughs) Um, this is a good question. It is a good question. Uh, he basically says, I know you guys are both good friends and support each other's careers, but is there ever a time when one of us gets like a killer job and the other's on a dry spell where we might be a little jealous, uh, time to come clean, Trevor. Yeah. Well, Hey, I hate you. (laughs) Uh, you know, this is great. Some, I, is another book I read somewhere along the way. And somebody said, I think this is a quote from like Emerson or somebody, maybe it might be Mark Twain. They said, happiness is your friend's misery or other people's misery or something like that. And I, and you know, I think kind of pre MITT, that was very much the case for me. You know, like I would look at people who were successful or getting things that I wanted and I'd kind of secretly wished for their downfall (laughs) because I wanted, you know, I wanted to validate my own circumstances and I wanted my excuses to be valid and I wanted to be right about all the reasons that I can't have that and why that's not attainable and yada, yada, yada. And so, 
I, I think at times I, I have become jealous uh, of uh, of people's success. And there have been times where you've booked stuff where I've been like, motherfucker, <laughs> like, man, I, I, you know, um, but I, less, much less so these days because I've learned that you know when you do that. You just you just hurt yourself, you know. Mm. So I've learned to be really excited for you and and everybody. Um, yeah. When when they're booking stuff, but this is a great question because I because it is something that is that that does kind of pop its little head up. The little Mexican yeah. crab thing happens, mm. mm-hmm. and I'm like, every once in a while, I have to consciously be like, no, <laughs> like you're past that, man. Calm down. Yeah, you're past that. Don't be jealous. It's awesome. Well, speaking of energy. You know, since you were just talking about that during your week, like, you know, if you're jealous or having negative emotions about somebody booking something, you're essentially putting out the, the energy that like when people book things, it is, it is a negative experience or I have bad feelings. Yeah. So that goes for you or me or I as well. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, I booked something. God damn me. (laughs) Son of a, we attract what we are. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I have, um, experienced jealousy, um, in terms of your, um, self-discipline and your physical physique. Wow. Um, we're kind of coming clean here. Yeah. On the show. Well, <laughs> wow. that's what the question is. I have actor, like so a list actor celebrities that I'm just like, I cannot believe that you still get work. How do you keep getting hired? I don't understand. I justify that with just telling myself it's discernment you know as an actor i get to like look at things and have discernment about whether they're good or bad or like you know okay be able to say like oh you know that's the kind of art that i like or that's the kind of art that i don't like or that's good acting or that's not good acting like we have to have some kind of discernment we have to otherwise otherwise we will not be able to sure be a good actor sure um so that's how i justify it but with my friends i've been very conscious of like not being jealous and just like really being like, go, 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 go. And that it's been really supportive to like living with Ben because the way that he thinks he's constantly like moving forward. And so whenever he's like up to something, I'm just like, damn dude, that's so awesome. Like high five. Like he's got some really cool stuff going on right now. He really does that. Like, I don't really want to talk about because I haven't asked him if that's okay, but he's just got some serious, serious, awesome stuff going on in his acting career specifically in his life in general i have always struggled with self-discipline and i've always struggled with keeping myself in top physical shape which are two things that you just have managed to have like down cold and it's just like uh it had i mean it's not it's not i don't even know if jealousy is not the right word it's like i try not to compare myself with other people and in that respect they do sort of compare and therefore i get down on myself Hmm. so it's not really jealousy per se it's sort of like looking at that and going why can't i comparison do yeah that? yeah you know what i mean yeah wow i i can relate to that on a lot of levels uh that feeling of comparison and whatnot like it, that's another thing that i do a lot I'll, I'll look at people who are who have been in la less time than i have and they they've had a lot more success than mm-hmm. i have you know success in air quotes because it's subjective how we define that but yeah. you know work we'll say work mm-hmm. in the industry mm-hmm. Uh, and I think to myself, like, like what the hell? And I start comparing myself and getting, beating myself up and thinking about all the things I've done wrong and all the time I've wasted and all that stuff. And that doesn't serve anybody, you mm-hmm. know? So 
what I try to do when I get to those places is just say, is celebrate the awareness essentially, because that everything that I have done was instrumental in getting me to that point right at that moment of that awareness so that now I can shift or change Mm. or do something new. So I get to celebrate that awareness and celebrate everything. That was just my journey. That was my process. All that crap, all that wasted time, whatever. That's what it took for me. Yeah. And without that, I wouldn't have been there. Yeah. And that's proven because that's the way it happened. So (laughs) yeah. Right. It's perfect because it is. Yeah. That's a way to diffuse that. Yeah. I love that because, you know, I feel that way about the podcast. I feel that way about our careers. Like, oh, why haven't I, you know, I'm turning 30 next year. And, um, you know, it's, it it is the kind of thing where it's like, uh, oh, why hasn't, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I just have to keep reminding myself because I wasn't ready. Somebody said to me the other day, something like you only track the love that you think you deserve. I think I was there or I read that same thing or heard that same thing. I mean, it's, I'm sure a lot of people have used some quote similar to that, but yeah, or, or, or made some quote similar to that. Uh, cause it's a, it's a pretty prolific idea, but you can apply the same thing to art, to this industry, to mm-hmm. acting. You say, you know, you, you, you essentially attract the jobs you think you're worth, the jobs you think you deserve. Yeah. You know, and it's not about like being a diva and being like, I deserve to be, you know, the lead in a feature film, you know, it's like, no, when you walk into an audition, for instance, are you, are you freaking out and nervous because, you know, you, you don't think you deserve to be there or you walk in and go and like, like it's a meeting, which is why we call them meetings, you know, it's it's like, Hey, I'm going to show you like how awesome I am at this. And if you think that I fit the type that, you know, it'd be great to work together. Yeah. It's a mindset. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Anyway, now that uh, Brian Tracy writes about that in maximum achievement, which is like a book that changed my life. He says, uh, we perform in any given area, uh, like directly proportional to the belief that we can perform in that area. Mm, mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So basically however effective we think we'll be, that's how effective we will be. It has very little to do with, well, not very little, but has little less to do with talent than I think our culture kind of suggests well you will you will if you want it badly enough you will you if you're hungry you will go after the skill set yeah you know you can build the skill set yes if you want it badly enough what is the saying hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard my Um, favorite is uh uh the one that george c wolf said at my graduation support talented artists because the untalented one will make it without your support such a great quote (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Sweet. And then anyway. Casey has a, a third question. This is a quick one. He says he's wondered if anybody has approached us about possibly creating a spinoff of Inside Acting, like Inside Acting Chicago or Inside Acting Dallas or Inside Acting New York. CSI Miami. Uh, yeah. And uh, and we have gotten a few, at least one or two uh, offers, I guess, solicitations. I'm not really sure what you'd call them. A few people have, have suggested that, and, and we've... Uh, I, have, I guess we've talked about it, but we've been a little bit hesitant for a couple of reasons, I guess. I mean, the, the main, our main response has been, you have our blessing, have fun, go and do it. Just don't use our brand, I guess. Yeah. You know? Like, like it's not, since it's not our podcast and we don't have any like creative control, 
or say in it at all. It's your thing. Like you, you get to make your own yeah. brand, your own name, your own whatever. Um, yeah. I think that was the main, cause I remember responding to a similar question that yeah. I asked before. And that I, was, that's the main issue. I mean, I'm the example that comes to mind is like, we have somebody that, that we haven't met, you know, we've, we've communicated with them online. I'm just using a hypothetical here. We haven't met them and they're off in Michigan or something. And they decide to do an inside acting branded thing. And they talk about killing babies or just something awful like that, that, that you or I, AJ would not, uh, personally condone. We are kind of then automatically aligned with this belief system that we're not aligned with. And mm. so we'd have to do this whole disclaimer thing at the top of every, you know, peripheral inside acting episode. It just, it just becomes kind of hairy. And so I think, um, it'd be awesome if people wanted to do a podcast out there. Um, but we do shy away from kind of sharing the name of inside acting just, just for that one of the, that's one of the reasons. Um, however, if somebody does start another podcast somewhere and they want to like link up with us and we can just trade links or trade, uh, you know, promotion or whatever. Like I'm all for that. I think that'd be, that'd be really cool. As, yeah. as long as you're not talking about burning down the rainforests. Cause then we'd be like, yeah, that's not our thing. Sorry. <laughs> can't, can't align with that. But you know, that, that's the kind of, uh, hesitation we have when it comes to kind of spreading our, our name, I guess. Mm, mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Hope that, uh, answers your question. Uh, and then we have, um, two questions from Lee and Lee is, uh, again, another longtime supporter and listener and communicator with the podcast. And we got to kind of churn through these kind of quickly, but the first question he asks is, and I'm going to throw this to you, AJ. He says, a lot of jobs are being lost to other States right now. A lot of production and entertainment jobs because of better incentives, tax incentives and the like. What is your take on this? And is it still beneficial for actors or those who want to work on the production side? to move out to LA. Do you feel like this is uh this is this is an issue for actors or just for people or just yeah, for people in production? In production, yeah. Um it's definitely an issue. Um <clears throat> he refers to a, an article on castingfrontier.com which I guess we can link to on our website um in the show notes for this episode. Um this is a big issue. I think we talked about this on the podcast before, but this is becoming an increasingly uh big issue because of the fact that California is kind of not doing enough to, they just recently changed some laws and some tax laws and stuff to kind of bring the business back, but they haven't been doing enough to keep the business here. And so we keep losing business to, um, Hawaii, Louisiana, um, uh, Atlanta, Kansas. Um, That's where Blake Robbins shot his film largely because of the Tax the tax incentives, yeah. I mean, you know, people set up like pr- production offices in, p- in places like Idaho, yeah, because it's just you know, uh, it's just cheaper. Um, so, isn't that amazing? It's cheaper to fly out there and do the hotel thing and whatnot yeah. than it is to actually stay in state and shoot. Yeah, so it gives that you an idea lot. of like yeah. how. Yeah, so, but um, I think I told this story when I was shooting. Um, broken horses where I jumped into a transpo van and there was a girl who was, um, or a woman who was, um, part of the costume department and she, we had gotten our checks or she had gotten her check or something. She opened it, she scoffed and she said, the things you'll do to stay in town. And I said, hang on, I gotta ask because I have a podcast for, and I said this, I said, I have a podcast for actors and I gotta ask what that's all about. And she said that she was offered a job on the hunger games 
film, which was shooting on the East Coast. But she turned it down because she didn't want to be out of town. She wanted to because she lives here. And like, I get that, you know, it's like she lives here. She, she, and so I think for production people, it's a lot easier to jump around and go from job to job, to job, to job. Whereas for actors, you know, they may hire locally for a lot of roles, maybe some of the smaller parts, um, sort of co-star guest star ish level roles. Um, if it's a, if it's a feature, obviously the terminology is different, but, um, the auditions are still, I feel like going to happen here unless they're on some national search for like a very specific you know role or something but i feel like the auditions are still going to happen here and if you get cast they're going to fly you out and for an actor that's just fun like (laughs) that's just like a vacation yeah so you know it does and doesn't affect actors it 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 mostly affect i feel like it mostly affects actors in minor markets because they could get more jobs Mm. so there's a lot written about this on the internet, I would say start with this article um, and, you know, do uh, some research if you're really interested in learning more about this particular topic. But that's that's sort of my two cents. I don't mm. know if you had anything to add to it. No, I, I um, am kind of blissfully ignorant on this subject and I, I get to learn more about it. I actually posted a link to our Twitter account this past week with an article from, I think it was The Hollywood Reporter that talked about uh, in depth kind of this was happening. And mm-hmm. how and how California is finally getting the message and starting to kind of fight back. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and that's good because yeah. that's going to mean more jobs for the entertainment industry here. Yeah, that's the other pl- way that might affect actors is like, for instance, during the writer strike when there was just nothing going on, so there was no jobs for anybody, including actors. You mm-hmm. know? So anyway, speaking of money, <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of money, Lee's <laughs> second question is um, essentially about. Um, I guess like negotiations or how did you phrase it? Uh, I called it quotes. He's asking about quotes. Yeah, um, so, yeah. He said, how does, how do, how do actors say, say I want X amount of money for, if you want me in your movie or how do they get, you know, uh, one to 7% or more of the box office revenues and blah, blah, blah. Isn't being part of SAG guaranteeing an actor at least a percentage already. Um, no. So being in the union does not guarantee you a percentage of anything. Um, you get a standard rate. Um, for instance, if you do a, a, a television show and you and you're a guest star, you get a standard day player rate um, for every day that you shoot. Um, if you're on a feature and it shoots for a long time, you can either get paid by the day or by the week, um, or you can just get like a, a, a sum if your rep- representation has negotiated that sum. So this comes down a lot to your representation, your agents, managers negotiating with the um, production. Uh, the producers for your rate. And um, there is a thing called a quote and a quote is essentially like what they say you are worth. So your quote increases the more that you work. So for these big, you know, a and B list celebrities who, um, you know, work all the time and are in feature after feature after feature, their quote just keeps going up, which is why you have people that get paid like $20 million to do, a feature film. It's because they, you know, it's like, if you want me to be in your film, my quote is this much, mm. like this is how much it's going to cost you. And it's based on your previous job, how well that, you know, film or whatever did. Sure. Um, 
you know, all these different factors come into play. And then it might be a negotiation that happens between your representation and the production. The only thing that being in the union guarantees you is you have somebody making sure that you get um, residuals if it's something like a television show. And even that pay structure is kind of going away. We've talked about that on the podcast a little bit. But, um, for instance, I did an episode of Hannah Montana in 2009. I just got two residuals checks this week. For one was for like sixteen dollars, and the other one was for like twenty one dollars. Um, and they give you SAG gives you a breakdown of where, right. why they're giving yeah. you that money, and yeah. it's like television zero. Like it, it was like all these zeros because it's not, the episode isn't airing anymore. And then it said internet rental, and it, and that's where it's all coming from. People wow. essentially buying the episode on iTunes. Yeah. yeah. So I still get checks from. Uh, bold and beautiful and young and restless and it's all overseas it's all comes from the overseas oh interesting like, recycling of the episodes or something i'm not i'm not sure maybe they're like dubbing them in different languages but <laughs> you know and i was like the waiter or the door guy like i was i was nobody you know but uh number is trevor algan yeah, right some terrible that like, was awesome dude. yeah good answer though that was really really cool i'm i'm learning stuff this episode <laughs> Woo-hoo! always learning um, so that, that does it. Dude. We got to jump into this episode because we are over time. So part one of our chat with Mr. Tony Horton, the X-Man himself. This was awesome. Enjoy part one, guys, and we'll catch you on the other side. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Trev, AJ, and Jen sitting here um, with someone we... This is probably a milestone for, for the podcast. You know, one of the reasons we started this thing was so, so that we'd have a, a good excuse to basically reach out to and sit down with people that we really uh, admire and whose work we enjoy and that we'd like to just talk to and uh, basically for our personal heroes. And today we are excited to be sitting here across from P90X creator, Tony Horton. So, Tony, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Well, I got to say, it's very exciting. I want to thank you all for invading my home. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I know. I know your plot. This is how you hang out with uh, people you admire, so you can come to their place and see uh-huh. how they decorate. I know. I, was, I actually already put a few DVDs yes. in my bag. Yeah, yeah you want to say, is the guy? Yeah, to see if I'm, you know, I'm actually overweight or in fit. If uh-huh. I'm not. Unfortunately, should he's we reveal not. that we had a pull-up contest prior to this? Uh, <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, no. that was uh, a sobering experience for you. Uh, oh, no, oh, <laughs> well, this is how it's going to begin. <laughs> All right, we're already bringing up the mirrors. Ready, let fire um, away, brother. Yeah, so cool to be sitting across from you as somebody who's who's um, done PMX basically for a year straight. Um, but you're, you're I, a wise, I, wise man. <laughs> I, I quit my gym membership the, the day I, uh, the fourth day. By the time the yoga DVD came around, I was like, I am convinced that working out in front of my TV in the living room is the, the best way to go. And I canceled my gym membership. But like I said, I want to spend less time talking about that stuff and more talking about. Oh, but wait. Oh, you can talk about all all you want. No, I, 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 I know the reason why we're here to kind of get folk give folks a sense of uh, how does a guy, you know. With a C minus uh, average, end up uh, with a with a fitness empire. Yeah, I mean, give, a pretty, give us give us a crazy story, really. Yeah, yeah, give us a feel for your journey. I mean, are you originally from LA? Not at all. I'm a New Englander, and okay. um, I grew up in Rhode Island. I grew up in a place called Westerly, Rhode Island, 
Uh, yeah, and so I wasn't there much, very long. My father was in the military at the time. He was a tank commander. So we were stationed. We, you know, I started in Rhode Island, ended up in uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky, which who knew that was a, a, a tank base. And then we weren't there much longer before we were in uh, uh, um, Schofield Barracks in Honolulu on the Big Island. And I was a wee lad. And uh, from there, Rowait in Connecticut, Cumberland, Rhode Island, uh, Syracuse, New York, and then we settled in fifth grade for me in Trumbull, Connecticut. So I grew up wow. in Trumbull from fifth grade through 12th grade. And then I went off to the University of Rhode Island where I majored in, in beer, beer and alcohol. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and I went to some classes too. That was cool. But, you know, as a, as a young kid, uh, a lot of people don't realize that, that uh, you know, I mean, I bounced around a bunch before I settled into, into, this, into Trumbull at fifth grade. And it was tough, you know. I mean, you went from school to school to school, new teachers, new friends, new everything. And, uh, you know, as, as a little guy, you didn't really understand why you were having such a tough time. And I, and I had a really tough time. Like I said, I almost got held back in third grade. I was a terrible student because there were different teaching techniques. And then, of course, you, the new guy always gets the prat beat out of him from the bullies. And I was a little kid. I was a, you know, I was a thin little guy and, and not athletic at all. My father was a phenomenal athlete. I mean, he was a three-sport captain. But he didn't like the whole process uh, to be to get to that point. You know, he didn't like uh, the coaches and the trainers that, and, his, and even his father gave him a pretty hard time about being perfect all the time. And I didn't, I didn't uh, take to that very well. I was hmm. kind of a rebel on that stuff of being told what to do. I was on the football team, and and uh, you know, as most people have heard me tell the story, I was really more of a tackling dummy uh, Monday through Friday, and then on Saturday for the game. Uh, I was taking stats, you know, for the most part. And I would rumble around in the dirt and the dust and the mud during warm-ups so that I at least appeared to have mm-hmm. work, uh, been in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was a funky, hard, brutal uh, childhood. Not like some. I mean, some kids have it much worse. But I just, I just, you know, I just recall being very depressed a lot and, and very, uh, very, you know, frightened of, of getting the crap beat out of me. I had my lunch money taken the whole bit, you know. So wow! Funny. But uh, come come later on in high school, uh, things got more interesting. I got more confidence. I was an actor. Uh, I was in Ah Wilderness, the play Ah Wilderness, in, in uh, Twelve Angry Men. <clears throat> I had, like the two absolute smallest parts you could have in both. But I was on stage, and it was a blast just to be there. Did you? When were you bit by the acting bug, as it were, or was it something you just kind of fell into? Well, you know. Uh, being incredibly insecure and having somewhat of a sense of humor at that age, I discovered that if I made people laugh, then uh, that was my that was my out from being you know frightened and and uh, and, and struggling and all the things that went with uh, the kind of kid that I was at that stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I would put on these little skits for my parents and neighbors, and you know, in college, I even took uh, because I was so afraid of of speech. And, uh, you know, I could learn my lines, the few that I usually got, and that was pretty, pretty easy. But, um, you know, I took a, I took a advanced mime class. I mean, I took an introductory mime class, uh, an advanced mime class, and then a, a master mime class. I was wow. fascinated with, with creating things, uh, uh, that weren't there, you know, I mean, whether it be leaning or walking in the wind or, you know, hmm. cre- you know, walking inside the you know, the box, the glass box, all that crap. You know, I mean, we look at mime now and think, oh, that's pretty lame. But 
But, uh, you know, I was a f- big fan of Marcel Marceau. I mean, how many kids in high school? I mean, college mm. in wow. the late 70s were yeah. Marcel Marceau fans. <laughs> Hello, nerd! <laughs> um, but the guy who taught the class was really cool, you know what I mean? And most of my teachers in high school weren't. They were just pretty pretty pathetic, really, in my mm. experience. But he was really into it, you know I mean? Just his his level of skill was so so amazing and i just loved that that type of movement that isolation movement where part of your body is completely relaxed and something some other part of your body is trying to create something that's not there and um i used to do these these shows uh you know in the cup room and and sort of the main stage in the in the commons at night you know with whatever half the campus would be there because there's nothing else to do the university was in the middle of a turf farm you know so it wasn't like we had a, a, a big city or cool like ucla or usc or or other schools so we would do these, I'd do these bits, you know, and they were a little X-rated sometimes, you know, they were like, you know, I was, one minute I'm doing a glass box, the next minute I'm walking in the wind, and the next time I've, you know, I'm surrounded by three naked women. And it was fun to kind of create that visually for people, and I'll let you use your imagination as to what was going on <laughs> on stage. Yeah, so a lot of, you know, like open mouth kissing and ass grabbing and pulling off bras and all this crazy stuff. And, and you know, they were always usually drunk and stuff, and I would play... Uh, ELO or Beatles, like Magical Mystery Tour or whatever was uh, popular at the time. And uh, a lot of acid jazz. I mean, I just played some really cool music and I would spend hours, you know, I mean, that's why I got C minuses in class because I was spending all my time working on my mime bits. Wow. Uh, for, for folks. But uh, yeah, that was how I got my initial, initial actor. Um, wow. Thing. Yeah. And then that parlayed somehow into stand up comedy and then somehow you got to LA. Well, you know, after um, after struggling uh, on the East Coast all the way through to college, really, I mean, I was never, like I said, a never great student. URI was called You Are High, just to give you that sense of what the vibe was back then. And now it's that all that whole energy is gone. You, nobody can drink under 21. You, you know, you get caught with pot, you get busted. With all that struggle and all that strife and, and uh, all those problems, I, I kind of meandered my way through most of it. You know, I survived. And then a good buddy of mine called me one day and said... Uh, you know, what are you doing for the summer? I said, oh, I'm going to wait tables in Boston. Like I had a, I had a, a, a job in Boston <laughs> to wait tables. Yes, moving on up to the... Uh, yeah, so that was kind of sad and pathetic. Uh, but, I, you know, I, the last thing I wanted to do was have to have to go home and live with my parents. I refused, you know, to, after four years of college. That was the best I could do. No prospects whatsoever. I had $400 in my, in my bank account. 400 bucks. And uh, my, Bob, my friend Bob Hennessy, who works with me now, uh, he does a lot of my development stuff and manages some, some projects for me now, uh, you know, called me up and said, I'm going to California. I'm going to Hunt- Huntington Beach for the summer. You want to come? And with zero hesitation, I said, I'm in. And uh, I ran out of money in Colorado Springs, and which is really weird because I was only there about three or four days ago. So it was weird to be in a town three days ago and in 19... 19- uh, in 1980, I was last time I was there, and I had I had zero dollars, zero in my pocket. Hmm. But I had my mime outfit and my white face, and I put on my black hat, and my black vest, and black shirt, and black pants, and black shoes. Did the whole mime face thing, and went out in the streets, and um, and I uh, put the hat down. And in about a day and a half, I made about 125 bucks, and I thought that's enough. I can, that, uh, we can get we can get going now. Uh-huh. And we ended up in Huntington Beach, and we were in southern, southern, sunny Southern California, man, in the early 80s. So many amazing, beautiful women, which is the reason why we were there. 
Um, but we never got hooked up with any of them because we were such East Coast dorks. I still had my my Tonicellic handlebar mustache. Yes. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Yes. And they would say, and then everybody thought I was a narc. You know, my neighbors thought I was a narc. I go to the club and they go, "That guy's a narc," because I had the conservative, you know, pale blue button down shirt. Everybody else back in those days, the nineteen eighties. Every single person, all the time, I don't care who you were, whether you were a cop or a garbage man, everybody had Hawaiian shirts. Hawaiian shirts. Hawaiian shirts. Southern California. But it was just the look, you know what I mean? It was like baggy pants, flip flops, and Hawaiian shirts. And I'm sitting there with pleated, you know, pleated jean shorts. The hell. Pleated jean yeah, shorts. Yeah, yeah. I think I made that up, but it was, I thought it was wow. going to be funny. Um, <laughs> and uh, that and, and my, uh, and my, you know, my pink or my light purple or my blue. Oxford button-down shirt was pretty sad. Wow. So, of course, we looked like narcs. So, you came out here, basically, and you were like, I- I'm going to give this acting thing a go. Yeah. And uh, it worked for a little while. I mean, we've, we, you, you had a couple, a couple bookings, but nothing huge. And then you were saying that you were studying with this teacher, and he was giving you some advice to maybe... I don't know. You almost made it sound like try something else, because it's such a difficult industry. Well, you know, this great teacher, this really amazing man, and I believe he still teaches uh, classes at, at the Debbie Reynolds Studios over in Burbank, uh, Daryl Hickman. I mean, God, he's got to be in his 70s or maybe even in his 80s. I don't know. Have to have to Google Daryl. But he had this amazing technique. I'll never forget, you know, the first day in class, frightened to death, driving from the west side all the way to Burbank to go to the Debbie Reynolds Dance Studio to take a class with this guy. And I knew about this class for a year or two before I finally had the cojones to show up. You know, again, I was still had no, no self-esteem, really insecure, just assumed that I was going to be the worst one there. And he and here was the very first exercise. And I know how many actors are listening in and going to go, oh, yeah, been there, done that, you know. So Daryl's technique was kind of a, tier, a multi-layered technique where you're kind of building, you know, being present, being in the moment. That was always really important, you know, reacting as opposed to just acting out your lines and all these different things. I can barely remember a lot of them. But one of them was, you know, you've got your lines. And so a decent director, nine times out of ten, is going to want something different out of you every time. They don't want a line reading. They don't want the same thing over and over again. They want to see, you know, they want to see your technique. I don't care if it's Meisner or whatever it is. And so he said, here's what I want you to do. So I don't know, there were probably 35 neophytes in this room from all around the country, all showed up for this 10-week introductory uh, Daryl Hickman acting class. So he, all he wanted you to do was go to the front of the room and stand there with two feet on the ground, your weight on either foot with your arms by your side, and just be open and be clear. And, uh, and his job was to ask you how you felt standing there in front of the group, first day. Like, what are your feelings? And you, it was kind of funny to watch people shift their weight and fold their arms. And you'd say, no, no, you're, you're leaning on one side. Just put your weight evenly on both feet. Put your arms down. Stop folding your arms. And, and so how do you feel? Feel good. Feel fired up. No, you don't. You know, and he would just say, I want you to be authentic. I want you to be in the moment. I'm in the moment. I feel good. And you would get all these people who are doing the song and dance to try to, you know, cover up whatever insecurities and fear they were having. And it was funny to watch. You know, I think I was about the fourth one that went up. And I went up there and I just, I thought, I'm just going to do this thing. I'm just going to do this thing. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to, you know, tell everybody how awesome I feel. I feel awesome. You know, no, I'm not Donald Trump who's full of crap. Oh, sorry for those of you that like Donald Trump. <laughs> I'm just going to be a real person in the moment, be authentic and stand here. And it was such a bizarre, bizarre moment. All right. So I stood there. And he said, I just want you to be there. Just breathe. 
you know, look around. What does that feel like? And I think I said something along the lines of, uh, odd. It feels odd. <laughs> All right. What does odd feel like? And we kept going, kept going. He got me to this place where, you know, I said, uh, I said, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm scared here standing here. I don't feel good. My stomach is in knots. I don't want to screw this up. I'm trying to just be in the moment, be authentic and, and listen. I'm trying to listen and not just talk. He says, how does that feel? Take your time. You don't have to answer right away, you know. After a little bit, I felt this this bizarre combination of emotions just, just hit me like a wave. And one of them was re, re, a, a, a form of release. I felt relaxed, but I also felt um, super emotional, like on the verge. And he could see it, and he'd say, that right there. What is that? And I don't know. I started the lips, started to quiver, and then and the chin started to quiver. And he said, that. Don't you let go of that. Let that happen. Let that happen. That's real. That's what acting is. That's in the moment. That's authentic. Just let it go, man. Just let it go. Boom. Before I knew it, I was on the ground sobbing, sobbing, heaving, sobbing, tears coming off my, both my eyes like a river, like a baby. And I remember the floor. I'll never forget. It was a, it was a wooden floor, a hardwood floor. And it was dusty, you know, like these acting classes in these studios. People are moving around props and stuff, and they probably haven't dusted it. And I remember uh, a puddle was forming, a puddle of tears was forming on the floor. I mean, crazy, man. And then he got out of his seat. He came over and he put his hand on my back. He said, let that happen. Let that go. That's it. And when he put his hand on my back, it was sort of like the father that I never had. You know what I mean? It was like this guy who had the, who had, who had the compassion to come up and say, you know, you're not being a wuss. You're not. Be, you're a man has these feelings. A man, you know, if you're going to be a decent actor, and you know, you want to make it in this town, you got to find this kind of emotion. If you can't, you're just full of shit. You know, you're going to end up doing shitty fucking soap operas or something. You know, so um, not to say that soap opera acting isn't great. It's a beautiful step onto your movie career. But anyway, uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> do, do they even do soap operas anymore? I think it's all game shows. There's a few left. It's yeah. Ellen. It's all. Yeah. But. Uh, <clears throat> So it was wild, man. When he put his hand on my back, I started sobbing even more, you know. And I, it was a heck of a heck of a first day. I just felt like I was in a room by myself, and somebody gave me permission to feel what I wanted to feel without any judgment. And it was incredible. And I thought, damn, man, I'm coming back next week. So I get up, and then and, and he turns to the class, who wants to go next? And everybody's like, <laughs> f that, man. I ain't not following that. I'm not following that. And you would think that which was interesting. One or two people got up and. And kind of tried to get there. But everybody else got back on the whole hands on the hips and arms crossed and shifting their weight and, and telling their bullshit story. Mm. You know? mm. And, you know, then I had the commercial agent and, you know, and I, and I went out on a bunch of commercials because at that age I looked like just about everybody else, <laughs> you know, that was going on these beer and car ads, you know what I mean? One after another, beer car, beer car. Sounds about right. You know, yeah. and, uh, yeah. right. Nothing's and this, changed. Yeah. Nothing's changed. You know, yeah, and that's just the way it was. And, and other things, too. I mean, I did a low-and-brow commercial, and I did a 7-Up commercial, and I did a Chevy car commercial. And, man, I remember getting those gigs just thinking, that's it, I'm in! I'm mm-hmm. in! Let's just get a roll! And then you would be on, put on a veil. You just feel, you know, that everybody who's an actor knows what being put on a veil means. 
I said, I'm in it. How many, how much is down to? It's like you and 13 guys. Yeah. It's not really a veil. <laughs> right. It's me and another guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And of course, I got put on a, on, a, on a veil so many times and never booked those gigs. It was so frustrating. But, you know, I was in the 13th Warrior with, with uh, Antonio Banderas. I, I had it. If you look really Sweet. quick, there's a scene where I get an arrow in the eye. I played one of the Ven, one of the man eating uh, characters in that. And uh, another scene with me eating human flesh it was really jerky but but uh wow you know you're in canada but i was also up there training a lot of the actors you know i didn't train antonio but i trained all the european actors uh to keep them in shape for the film so where did the where did the how did the training thing work its way into it because you were kind of a mime theater geek almost it sounds like and then you're a personal trainer as well so when did that evolve or or well you know after after huntington beach and after you know sleeping on my buddy's uh sister's floor for the summer we decided we should, you know, either we're going to go home, back to the East Coast, and it was about September at that point. My parents were saying, okay, you're done screwing around, come back east where you belong, and get a real job, you know. And at that point, you know, I'm calling them up uh, for $100. I just need $100 because I'm going to do this little job. I'm going to build these cabinets with my – I had a sander and a hammer and a, and a friggin' pair of tweezers. You know, I found a way to make these things work. And, and reluctantly, my parents would send me – you know, one hundred nineteen ninety five for a belt sander and whatever, you know, whatever I needed. And occasionally, I had to call for rent. You know, and, and at some point, I realized that I had to stop doing that. You know, either make it on your own or you don't. And so I had every odd job imaginable. I was a, I was a pantomime on the pier. I mean, there were nights where I was out of money. You know, I'd, I'd be, I'd maybe go wait tables at two for a week, and I go, I hate this place. I'm out of here. I used to wait tables all through college, and I hated it. And I actually worked at the Bel Air Country Club uh, for a couple of years when I just finally, you know, swallowed the pill and said, I got to do this gig because it's steady money. Mm-hmm. So I waited tables at the Bel Air Country Club. I would build furniture. I was a handyman. I would go down to the pier when I was out of money. There was one night in particular, I'll never forget, I had no food, no food. And I hadn't eaten since the day before. And I, I couldn't borrow any more money from anybody. And, and I wasn't going to go panhandle. So I put on my, my, my outfit. I went down out to Santa Monica down to the pier, down to the Venice Pier, and into Westwood, you know, when Westwood used to hum at night. And I put that hat down, you know, these young kids were drunk and they were throwing crap at me and stealing my hat. I mean, it was pretty brutal, but I needed to get that 25 bucks. And I would go down to the, uh, I lived on Bay Street in Santa Monica, Bay Street in Maine, Bay in Maine in Santa Monica, and there was a liquor store, I think it's still there. And they would sell yogurt and Cheerios, and I would buy enough yogurt and Cheerios to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a couple of days. Wow. Lived on on yogurt and Cheerios. And yeah, it was brutal, you know. Uh, and I worked retail and I was I was a first I was a go-go dancer at, at Chippendales for a summer. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, 23.50 an hour, man. That was big bucks. Waiting tables during the day, go-go dancing at night, baby, you know. Wow. Popping and locking and doing all that mime stuff on a little box, a box that was like 3 by 3 by 4. It was like 4 feet high and I was in the, I was to stand there on the corner of the of the dance floor. I'll never forget, you know, one of my buddies buddies came in from Minneapolis and he looked at it, my, my buddy Tom um, and he says, does Tony's father know that his son makes a living dancing on a box at a club? <laughs> I don't think his father knows about this, yeah. And he, they didn't know about that. Wow. But yeah, so I had every odd job in the world. And then one day, um, I was working at the Bellar Country Club, you know what I mean? And I was doing the waiting tables thing and putting on the monkey suit the whole bit. And uh, a friend of mine uh, had a pretty cool job working for Julia Phillips. Julia Phillips co-produced with her, her husband, John Phillips, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You can see that poster in the room. 
Or is it? Mm, up there. there it is, right above you. Yeah. Um, and The Sting with Redford and Newman. And, um, and what was the other movie? And Taxi Driver. And he got a cool job working for, for Dolly Parton as a writer and uh, kind of an upgrade from being a PA. He was also an actor. And uh, he said, hey, look, there's an opening. I know you don't want to wait tables anymore. Do you want to, uh, do you want my job? I'll, you know, have you introduced you to Julia? And uh, I said, sure. And she was a taskmaster, man. It was a brutal gig. Driving all over town, delivering scripts, changing light bulbs, feeding the cat, walk, doing laundry. You know, it was brutal. jeez. Oh, but it was pretty good pay. And um, at that point, I had already ha- I had my agent. And, and, it, and I was not in great shape. I was probably the worst shape I, I was in, in a long time. Little belly, you know, skinny little arms. And I remember my agent saying, and you know what, you guys as actors... You know, you just your agent. You, you expect your agent. You, you know, you, if they're going to actually get up, get on the phone and call you, you just do what they say. And they say, "Hey, man," they said, "You got to get in better shape if you want to get more gigs. You're looking a little crappy." You know, and I, right away I joined a gym. So you know, I'd get up in the morning. I joined. I'd go to the uh, go to the gym, or I'd go after after my gig over at Fox. And uh, Harlan Goodman, who was a, mu- a music producer at that time, uh, was working with Julia. And um, he was my co-boss, so Julia was one, he was the other, and uh, running around for the two of them. And he sort of, she didn't notice a thing, she didn't care. <laughs> but but he noticed, he says, geez, man, you're getting yoked. Your, your shoulders are bigger, your arms are bigger, your, your stomach is flatter, what are you doing? You know. And the cool thing about the job was they let me go on auditions. I've got an audition for whatever, and they let me go, just make sure you get all your stuff done. And so he was noticing that I was changing, and so he said, can you do that for me? And I had never trained anybody before. I'd never done that ever, you know. And I thought, I'll just, you know. He said, you can charge me for that. I think I think I charged him fifteen bucks an hour. Thinking, I'll just go for mm. it, man. Fifteen bucks an hour. I mean, that's a lot of money. He didn't even balk, of course. And so, three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we would go to my buddy's gym in his garage. The guy who, was, who used to have the same job, but now is a writer for Dolly Parton. And I'd train him. I, you know, I do the bench press and push ups and pull ups and hack squats and lunges and whatever. And I got him in phenomenal shape. And at some point, you know, I realized, wow, I, I might be able, be able to do this for more people because he was thrilled. He was thrilled with the results. He never got in great shape before. He was pretty regular. I made it fun, you know, much like I do with P90X. So uh, people were noticing him. Who did that? Tony Horton. I got to, you know. So all of a sudden, I'm training him in the morning. I'm doing my, my PA gig all day at Fox. And then at night, I'm training two or three others. Eventually, he left. Fox left working for Julia. They, you know, they just had a tough time doing the deal with anybody. And he went back to East End uh, Management and uh, back into music. So he's there walking down the hall, and in the other direction is Tom Petty. And Tom Petty uh, sees Harlan and says, Hey, Harlan, you look great. <laughs> how, how'd you get so fit? Tom's from Gainesville. Sorry, Tom. You don't really talk like that. It's the best I can do. It's my Gainesville accent. Hmm. He said, I'm working out with Tony Horton. I need that Tony Horton. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I got a tour coming up. I got like four months. I got to get ready. I sound more like Forrest Gump. <clears throat> my name is Forrest Gump. People call me Forrest Gump. But then, boom. I'm here all week. <laughs> or at least for the next 40 minutes. Um, and so, I'll, I'll never forget, man. Tom Petty called my apartment. You know, my little crappy apartment in Santa Monica. My rent control apartment. And my roommate, Bob, picked up the phone and... And, and, and the guy, John, who works for Do- worked for Dolly at that point, uh, was a practical joker. He was always you know, calling up and saying he was somebody else, and you pick up the phone, and you have a conversation with somebody you're not, or he'd hide underneath your car for an hour and a half, so when you went down there, he would reach out and grab your leg. You know, I mean, he was just a... He was from San Diego, man. He was crazy. 
just a lot of fun though. And so uh, Bob picked up the phone. Hi, it's Tom Petty. I'm looking for Tony Horton. And then Bob, you know, would put his hand over the receiver. It's I think it's I think it's Perpich. I think he thinks it's he's screwing with us. I go, hang up the phone, man. I know what I know what he's done. Boop, phone rings. Ha ha, it's Tom Petty. Somebody hung up on me. I'm looking for Tony Horton. <laughs> and of course Bob goes, Dude, I think this is t- really Tom Petty. I think the guy's saying he's Tom Petty, it's Tom Petty. Give me the phone. Hello? JP, dude, what are you doing? I know it's you. Hi, it's Tom Petty. I'm a fan of Harlan Goodman's. Oh my god. It's Tom Petty. Oh, uh, hello? Is, is this is this Tom Petty? Yeah, it's Tom Petty. Is, is this Tony Horton? Yeah. Um, I need to get trained. Can you train me? I got a tour coming up. Uh, I'm a friend of Harlan's. He looks great. Okay, yeah. Can you come tomorrow? Yeah. Well, you know, I took on the address. He lived in Woodland, Woodland Hills at the time. Beautiful, cool, you know, rock and roll pad. Beautiful place. I met him and I got him going and and I put him on. I got him a life cycle and a heavy bag and some on a bench and some dumbbells and and we just did the basics. And he was in just the worst shape in the world. I had never worked with anybody who was so out of shape. But you know, I had yeah. three months. I had three months and and uh, he got stronger and stronger and his belly went away and his arms got really lean. It got really vascular and. And he just, he, the big thing was, it wasn't about the aesthetics so much anymore. It wasn't about the look that he was going for. It was about the energy that he had. You know, he just had a buttload of energy. He just mm. felt great. So he went out on that tour that year and just killed it. Like these Springsteen-like, you know, three-hour shows. And the rest of the band's like, what are you doing, man? I feel great. Let's do another one. Let's do another one. You know, so it was really fun to see that. And I went on tour. I was on, I was on tour for the... Um, the New Jersey, New York, Long Island section of the tour. I got to ride on the bus with him and his wife and, and his young kids at the time and uh, got up in the rafters, you know, way up. They were all outdoor venues, and it was really cool to kind of be there and watch him do his thing. And then, you know, we'd get up usually like around 11, pretty luxurious, <laughs> go to the gym around 1. Then he, then we'd all go to sound check, and he'd do the show. We repeated that for, for about three weeks. Wow. It's fun being kind of a groupie right there and watch him do his thing. And we came back from that tour... And everybody saw what had happened to him. And so all of a sudden I'm training. My, 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 one of my weeks was Billy Idol, because Billy and Tom had the same management company. Billy Idol, Tom Petty, Stevie Nicks, Stephen Stills from Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Sean Connery. Submarines don't react well to bullets. <clears throat> That's the only thing I do. It's pretty bad. <laughs> and then Shirley MacLaine. You know, and there were a bunch wow. of others, Allison Janney and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and uh, wow. Ewan McGregor wow. and, and Usher and, um, oh boy, you know, I can't think of them all, but wow. yeah, it was a pretty, f- so all of a sudden I was keeping rockers from the seventies alive and, and working with a lot of actors. That was really fun. Uh-huh. But the bummer was, you know, uh, could I move out of my apartment? No. I mean, I was training one person at a time. I think I went from $15 an hour to about $115 an hour or per session. But when you start, you know, in L.A. and then you go to West L.A. and then you go to Malibu and Malibu, you go to Hollywood and then Hollywood, you go to, you know, you go to Venice. It was brutal on my cars. And uh, I had two cars because they broke down all the time because I was driving around town so much. You had a backup car. I needed a backup car. <laughs> That's awesome. I had, I had a 66 Mustang convertible, red, you know, rally sport, pretty groovy car. But the transmission would go out, the engine would go out, the brakes would go out. And then I had a beat up old 84 white land cruiser that you know was like riding a boat all over town it took like 40 turns to get a thing to take a left you know wow but it was it was a pretty cool life
That's right, kids. Mr. Tony Horn. God, that was so cool. That was We're so cool. so fanboyish around. It's like we got to interview like Iron Man or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess we kind of did. The yeah, X Men. I like yeah. how you said you called him the X Men before the we went to the interview. Himself, that was awesome. Yeah. And P ninety X three is coming out in like a month or two. It's like Christmas. So insane. It's like Christmas for us uh, fitness nerds. Um, yeah, so, so uh, cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And he's so nice and so generous with his time. I, I have to say, after we... Actually, after the first day, I, I don't know if we should talk about this, but like there was like a missed connection. So the first day that we went to actually interview him, it, it like didn't happen because there was a miscommunication. And mm-hmm. Anyway, we, we waited around for like a half hour and then we went to leave. And as we were packing up my car... He just pulls up and he was like, you guys looking for me? And, you know, he apologized for the miscommunication and all this stuff. And then we went up and just basically hung just out, like hung out in for his like driveway for like 20 minutes, just talking. And he's just a dude. Yeah. He's a dude like anybody else. And I have to say after that, and then after sitting in his home theater with him and, and chatting with him for, I never felt rushed for time. I mean, I talk about this in another part of the episode of the interview, but I guess what I'm saying is he is famous and successful for all the right reasons. You know, sometimes you meet people, you're like, you're a douchebag. Like, why are you (laughs) like, why? Or or you can tell that they're pushy or they're, or they're, you know, they're controlling or whatever. And you, you just, but he is like, is just a classic example of like a really good guy who just is, is, is where he is because he is such a good spirit, you know, like a, a good dude, man. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. just yeah, just a dude, just like yeah, you know, it's so funny because he's like you know, he is naturally charismatic and fun and and funny, and it makes sense why he got those jobs. But it's that's him. Like if you have the peanut X videos, like it's not an act that he's putting on. That's yeah. just that's just him. who he is. That's who he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, love it. You know, maybe turned up to eleven because he's on camera, <laughs> yeah. but it's just him. It's just who he is. It's yeah. great. Yeah, nice guy. Um, so stick around for uh, the other parts of his uh, his interview uh, coming up in future episodes. In the meantime, pick of the week. Uh, you know, I already I, I was trying to debate between I am the documentary I am and the rehearsal app. I think you kind of kind of just picked you pitch both, both like <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'll, I talked about I am. So I'll talk about rehearsal. Uh, it's an app that David H. Lawrence the Seventeenth, who is in episode twelve. I also do uh, voiceover stuff with him. And he's a very smart and resourceful and uh, talented guy, and he's become kind of a, a like a mentor to me these past few weeks and months. And uh, this app is awesome. It's essentially it's an app you can download for your iPhone. I do not believe there's an Android version. Uh, and he actually talks about why I think all the way back in episode twelve, when there was a previous version of this app, he talked about why yeah. he was not going to do an Android version. That may have changed since then. I haven't talked to him about it, but it's an app that just supports you in learning your lines, and it's so freaking effective. And I, 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 I love it. I can't, I can't imagine ever not using it for anything related to learning lines or going over a script or anything ever again. Like it is like a mainstay staple of my toolbox now. It is so useful, and I can't tell you the difference I felt walking into these auditions or these meetings this past week, having used this app to prepare. It was like night and day, night and day. And uh, whether I I get the jobs or not, it was my experience of of a stressful situation 
that made all the difference. So, um, hat tip to you, David and, uh, everybody go buy the app. Here's the downside. It's not cheap. It's a $20 app. Um, but I can confidently say that it is worth every penny. It is worth the investment. Yeah. 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 I think he talks about the, because the pricing structure changed. And I think in his episode, he talks about, you know, if you're a working actor and you're, you're, you're getting auditions all the time, like it is definitely worth it. I mean, if you, you know, if you get like an audition, you know, a week or every other week, anything there or more 20 bucks is like a no brainer. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's essentially an, an opportunity to run lines with yourself and you can just put it on a loop and stick your iPhone in your pocket and just listen to it while you're doing the dishes or whatever. And then say, and it's just, it's ingenious. It's so, it's so great. And he's got big plans for a third version. I won't share the plans now, but he told me kind of what he's planning. And I think it's really cool. So, uh, everybody check out that app. We've talked about it in the show before I've used it before, but never like, never did I really kind of actually sit down and and use it. I was just kind of playing with it before this time Mm. I actually used it and it was, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Your pick of the week. Uh, my pick of the week is a musician that I recently discovered, uh, named Nick Waterhouse. And, um, he's got like a couple of EPs. The reason I'm, he's my pick and not like a particular album is because I can't really figure out based on his, even his own website, like <laughs> what albums he has. Like if he has like one album or what is, like what one is album and a couple of EPs, nickwaterhouse.com. This is Nick, oh, this is, okay. uh, his website. Um, he's also got a great like, um, uh, Wikipedia page, but there's only like one album on the Wikipedia page and there's four on the well, one's a single, so three on his website. Anyway, um, but he's my pick, and like his music, um, you can find him on iTunes. Um, there's also some great, great YouTube videos of individual songs, and then he's also got this one like hour long sort of like concert that that they put on YouTube, um, where like it's a combination of like live um, recordings and sort of music video ish pre produced stuff. Uh-huh. Um, that's just fantastic. And the style of music, it's, 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 it's sort of like this combination of like old timey blues and old timey, like, um, uh, R and B and like big band and kind of like this like dirty swing. Like I can't, I can't really describe, but they use like the, um, uh, the saxophone that musicians around the world are like hating me right now, but what's the saxophone called that like is like low, like not a tenor sax where it's high, but like the alto sax or whatever. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Okay. I, I, if, if you know, please tell us I'm making myself sound like an idiot right now, but it's like this, like, you know, really like grunty, like sound saxophone. And that he uses that in like a bunch of his music and it's just so cool. And there was this, um, they do this awesome concert series on the pier in Santa Monica every summer. And I think it's Thursday nights, like every Thursday night for like six or seven weeks or maybe more, they have like this live outdoor free concert. You just literally walk onto the pier and there's a live concert. Um, and, uh, my girlfriend and I went to a couple of them and we had, we saw some awesome, awesome acts and Nick was one of them. Um, and it was so cool. And he sounds just as, and I really appreciate this too. Um, 
he sounds just as good live as he does on the on the recordings awesome so it's really cool it's a, it's very sexy music very like like sexy time sort of like dancey yeah check it out it's fun awesome nickwaterhouse.com sweet i'll check it out he's got like an eric clapton vibe going on from his photos like a young eric clapton <laughs> different uh, kind of blues but yeah yeah very cool <clears throat> all right sweet um we don't have a listener pick of the week this week uh, we actually had one sent in from Lee, but the video that he linked us to got removed for, by Paramount or something. They claimed copyright <laughs> infringement, and I was bummed because it looked cool. So um, no listener pick of the week, but if you have a pick of the week that you would like to share with our audience or our listeners, uh, either post it on the Facebook group and or send it to us, and we'll we'll give it a shout on the podcast. We're always looking for cool and interesting stuff. Um, sometimes it's just funny videos. Sometimes it's funny, you know, cat videos or something. Sometimes it's really, uh, you know, nuts and bolts career type stuff or whatever. It can be anything is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, so, send us cat videos. <laughs> God, please don't. <laughs> uh, so that does it then for episode 115. Dang, man. Uh, lots Ooh. of different ways that you, yes, you listening can be in touch with the podcast. Uh, you can start just by hitting our website, InsideActingPodcast.com, where you can leave a comment on an episode and or send us an email at InsideActingPodcast at gmail.com and or leave us a voicemail at 213-2-ACTORS. That's 213-222-8677. Just go ahead and leave us a voicemail with whatever and uh, we'll probably play it on the show. Get your voice on here too. Awesome possum. Yeah. We're all over the internet. You know where to find us. Twitter, Facebook, Inside Acting on iTunes, Actor Rated. Check yep. us out. Check us out. Leave us reviews if you'd like uh, to say nice things. Yes. <laughs> and if you us. do like to say nice things, maybe you also like to send nice paychecks. No, not paychecks. That makes it sound <laughs> like we're cashing them. Um, this podcast is entirely 100% listener supported when it's not 100% Post supported, um, and what <laughs> yes. that means is that we Thank take donations. <laughs> we take donations on our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. Over on the right hand side, you can click the donate button, kick us a few bucks. We really could use some mic stands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could. We we have a lot of production costs that we, uh, I guess, use the listener donations for to kind of offset the cost, so it's not entirely coming out of our our pockets. And and it's been awesome. We have a lot of supporters, but. You know, it's not free to make this thing, and every every penny counts. So, go ahead and uh, go ahead and do that. Go ahead and send us some money. Um, keep us going. That's it. <laughs> you like, go 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 ahead and do that. I'm like, I, I get to confront that I'm squeamish about asking people for money. It's just a thing. <laughs> um, where does that show up in my life? So you're like, do it, do it, yeah. do it, yeah, do it. Trevor's got one of our listeners at gunpoint over here, guys. You can't see it. <laughs> you can't see it, but. I have a feeling we're going to get some money. <laughs> right? No, Trevor, don't do it. <laughs> cool. So for episode 115, uh, I'm Trevor Elgott. I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. Oh, wait, 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 wait. wait. Oh! For episode 115 and our production coordinator, Jen Levin, and oh, our yes. uh, technical producer, Cesar Gamino. A lot of work happening behind the scenes. Thank you in large part to those two beautiful souls. Thank you guys for your work. And for me, Trevor Algott. And nice, for nice save. <laughs> nice save. I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, go laugh at some yogurt on the internet. Yeah.